0: Welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. My guest today is Alex Adelman. I've known Alex for a while now, and Alex is both the CEO and co-founder of Lolly, which is a company that gives shopping rewards in Bitcoin. So Alex, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So uh, let me just start with kind of the news of the day, which is Bitcoin is sort of crashing at the moment. um, Why and what do you think it means, if anything?
1: Yeah, it's it means a few things. I, I think the whole market's crashing, right? So Bitcoin of the yeah. last few days has beat the S and P. Uh, so I think it's it's largely uh, people are probably preparing for tax season. Uh, I think there's there's definitely been a little bit of uh, uncertainty um, with with government, um, uh, t- sort of like leaving some ambiguous uh, signs open for the the public. So we'll kind of we'll see what what happens, but. Um, you know, Bitcoin seems to thrive in, in chaos, uh, and right now we're, we're kind of entering into a very, like, un, unknown time. So historically, uh, I, I would say Bitcoin will, would thrive in, in these sort of upcoming uh, months because of uh, the, the uh, economic uh, uncertainty in the world right now. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how it plays out, but I, I'm you feeling su- bullish.
0: You feel, you're feeling good. Are you surprised that given how, that inflation is really high, Bitcoin hasn't been more resilient? Because yeah. theoretically should be the antidote to that, right?
1: It should be, yeah. It, it really should be. Um, the But also you have to just like zoom out over time and see, like, you know, there's course corrections in, in Bitcoin's history um, yeah. all, all the time. And, and some of them aren't explained until, you know, later of, of you know, what looking back, what, what's happening. Right now, you know, the, the, the narrative is everything is, is pretty much down. There's very little uh, store of value in anywhere that is certain. So um I, I think right now people are sort of trying to figure out both institutional and retail are trying to figure out where do they put their money where do they where do they put their assets that yeah. is safe and is going to be a store of value um and and historically bitcoin if you zoom out bitcoin has gone up tremendously and has been an incredible store of value for the last 10 years um right now the last you know, few weeks it, it has not been but um i've always been uh, rewarded for for zooming out and, and never selling um, and we'll see if that continues to prove out as it has over the last uh, several years.
0: So your, your advice to listeners, I know you're not like a registered financial advisor or whatever else, is, <laughs> or at least you're not selling. You're, you're comfortable with your portfolio as it is.
1: I've never sold Bitcoin, and I never will. Uh, my, I, you know, the whole game of Bitcoin is try to get as much Bitcoin as, as humanly possible um, over the course of your life and treat it as like your savings account. Uh, you know, not, not financial advice, but uh, that has served me well and when you really understand the principles of bitcoin uh you understand it's the greatest savings technology the world has uh, you know humans have ever created so uh i i you know i see it as there's only 21 million of, of this it's the truth of the of the universe is like there's it you know until 2140 uh there is a set path to only be 21 million of, of you know bitcoin and yeah. every 10 minutes there's a block that's mine and if you look at you know the the uh, future of any financial system. There's there's great uh, uncertainty in the amount of um, fiat there is, amount of other cryptocurrencies that there are, amount of NFTs that there will ever be. Uh, so everything else seems to me like speculation, where Bitcoin is this source of truth, this sort of beauty and math, uh, you know, uh, money backed by math, money backed by science and and um, game theory. And I find a lot of comfort in knowing that. Like the you know what I believe for the last eight years has continued to stay true. Bitcoin hasn't gone down. It's it's in it hasn't gone down in the sense of uh, uptime. It's it continues to do exactly what it set out to do and exactly what I first you know fell in love with it with. And it's connected four billion people with an internet connection through through money and and computer science and, and math.
0: Right. So it's it's the math and its sort of finite nature is what creates the intrinsic value.
1: Exactly. And and you know the speculative price. Uh, in the short term matters very little to me, uh, at least for some people, you know, for that are thinking about it uh, as, as sort of a flip or, a you know, a quick buy or sell. That's just not interesting to me. Um, I, I look at, you know, Bitcoin as this like fundamental shift in the way that we val- we value money um, and, and the way we hold val- uh, hold, hold that store of, of value. So uh, the, the short, you know, ups and downs are very uninteresting to me. The long term is, is what's most interesting. And, and really for our users, like, you know, Bitcoin, when we first launched, Bitcoin was at 4 k So it's been like, it's the best rewards platform of all time. It's been, you know, it's up, it's up almost uh, 10x since we first launched. So, you know, imagine, imagine cashback, if, if your cashback is up 10x over the, you know, a couple of years. Uh, it's pretty pretty good uh, cashback program.
0: So that, that's a good segue into Lolly. So uh, explain to the listeners kind of what the vision is, what you guys are doing and, and then two more things, which is one, how had you come up with the idea and what was happening in your life at the time that you came up with the
1: idea? Yeah, great question. So uh, yeah the, the goal of, of Lolly is to make the easiest way for people to get into Bitcoin and share Bitcoin with their family and friends. Um, but, you know I, I, I got into into Bitcoin in, in 2013. Uh, and it was like crashing on couches, like building my last company. Uh, in, in, I was crashing on couches in New York and bump into this guy at, at a bar and he was like, he had just gotten red billed with Bitcoin and he was telling me all about it. And I had been building a company in, in the payment space. Uh, we, Our mission was to democratize commerce uh, by giving everyone the ability to buy and sell anywhere with buy button technology. Uh, we, you know, we got um, applauded for creating the first dynamic buy button and mm-hmm. we were trying to, Solve this, you know, huge, huge issue in, in the space, um, which was make make buying and selling easier. And when I when uh, I got into Bitcoin, I think one of the things that made perfect sense to me was uh, was the fact that Bitcoin already kind of solved that problem. It, it made this currency available for four billion people. And you know, having someone who you know myself who who had been hiring engineers since I was sixteen all over the world, and you know, everywhere from Ukraine to uh, um, to uh, uh, Bangladesh to India every time I would move money all around the world it would just get taxed and and um, the value from the time I sent it to the time that the person received it would be dramatically hit so Bitcoin made a lot of sense to me in those early days even if it had you know 20% price swings it still was better than the than the uh, by the time I sent it to somebody in that you know 20 minute time frame or 20 second time frame uh, depending on how long it took it was still significantly better because that person now had a, a value that was the same as when i sent it um so that was that was really exciting to me uh as 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 a, a medium of change in those days and a store of value uh, in those in, in those early days um so it, you know it wasn't until we you know I started talking with like the team at honey which you know created a, a four billion dollar company at the time i was a first five thousand user of of honey and, and for those of you who don't know honey is a coupon app that lets people easily earn you know get coupons on their everyday purchases and i met ryan and george at, at honey and you know we concepted on what the future of the internet looked like with coupons and cash back. and we've been building this buy button technology and so we concepted on, on this idea that every time the honey you know app comp came up at, at, on nike or macy's or wherever you were you could also pay with honey uh, using Cosmics technology so um very much you know like it's kind of like h- how the future of the internet played out when metamask came out three or four years later you know with the launch of ethereum it-, it didn't look too different from you know that future that ryan and i concepted where you know you could buy anywhere uh with a with a um with with a buy now button or you know in our case the future or in metamask case being a, a crypto buy button so uh we in our company ended up uh getting acquired by rakuten uh, the biggest cashback company in the U.S. and many parts of the world, and we got to really like learn from the path of Honey, the path of Rakuten, and really get to understand the cashback uh, world. And and so when I was there, and, and you know my experience in Bitcoin, those sort of uh, ideas combined to answer your first question. Um, th- those experiences led me to really get uh, you know, figure out that if if we could make Bitcoin easier to to adopt than having to buy it, we could actually uh, bring on uh, millions and millions of users that would have not bought it, but would
0: have rather earned it. How much do rewards and things like cash back drive purchasing decisions?
1: Yeah, significantly. I mean, cashback cash back user is, it makes up, I, I would say probably a hundred million people in the U S alone have some form of cash back. So, you know, that, that, the same is not true for crypto yet. So what we're trying to do is really take something that people know and love, which is cash back and rewards and loyalty and, and show that the best form of cashback and loyalty is by earning crypto. So if we've already, I think already proven that over the last three years of giving people an asset, a point system that has 10x over those years, and I think we'll continue to prove uh, that sort of value. So uh, I, yeah, I would say like people are dramatically influenced by loyalty programs and cashback programs. Um, and And all across the board, like, it's not it's not some myth or some uh, crazy thing why why cashback has been around for ten years or sorry, twenty years uh, since the dawn of the internet with with you know companies like Rakuten um, having twenty million users, uh, Honey having north of twenty million users, um, think you know companies like PayPal offering cashback and and being very successful in that Venmo um, you know under under PayPal um, and you know really like every credit card and 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 debit card has some form of cashback at this point too so everyone knows cashback it's something very easy and marketable and understandable to the average consumer. And we're taking this very easy, uh, really intuitive, no brainer is probably the best way of describing it. And we're just saying, hey, instead of cash back, consider earning Bitcoin, consider earning a you know a better store value uh, by doing something you're going to do anyway. And by shopping at merchants that you may or may not shop uh, anyway as well. And
0: and what I mean, what what kind of product doesn't need to do rewards and cash back? So basically, I think what you're saying is, the vast majority of things that we buy are so commoditized that our decision making will be largely or at least partially driven by. Uh, the rewards and, and the other sort of financial incentives that were given to make that, that purchase. Um, when does, you know, when have you seen a product or a service that just doesn't have to do that because they're so unique or superior?
1: <laughs> Amazon, um, Amazon, like really market, the absolute market leaders that, so uh, the nitty gritty of it, and this is, in, I, don't, I don't know if this is going to bore people with, with the details, but uh, it's, it's kind of like uh, inside baseball is probably the best way of describing it is the entire game is an arbitrage against the price of Amazon products, or sorry, the the competitiveness of Amazon. So there's a reason why we don't work with Amazon, and we work with almost everybody else. Um, Everybody is competing against Amazon and is willing to offer an incentive for you to shop at their uh, sites over Amazon. So uh, that's probably the best way of describing it in a nutshell, is consumers are rewarded uh, what they would have been, what a company would have spent in marketing they can spend in cash back through lolly so what we're up against is really like what we go is we say hey you know at nike or hey adidas or macy's like don't spend money on facebook or or uh snapchat or google come spend money uh, at lolly and we can actually find your customers with a better margin that, uh, against amazon um, and so there's a there's a price that people are willing to pay of their entire marketing, which is in, in many cases, 40, 50 percent. So what we're really doing is an arbitrage on that. and We're saying you're paying for, 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 for performance with our users as opposed to trying to find those users on Facebook, Google and other other um, channels and then compete against the Amazons of the world that already have those customers that don't really need the Facebooks and the Googles of the world because they already have them. So we actually just launched a feature that gives, um, really like Bitcoin rewards comparison. Um, so if you're shopping on Nike on Amazon and you're looking for Nike shoes, uh, Lolly actually pops up on Amazon and says, Hey, earn five to 10% back by shopping directly at Amazon. So you play that out at scale and every brand can actually compete to win back their customers and not pay the 15% marketplace fee on Amazon, uh, because they can actually go, uh, pay up to 15% on lolly and that user wins because they're actually getting bitcoin back and ultimately they're running an arbitrage on what they would have paid for an amazon customer
0: and the vast majority of, of shoppers and users uh, are driven enough by price that they'll click on an extra link or two in order to save some money
1: absolutely and they get a direct relationship with nike they get to help it's not just nike you know, nike is a big company but there's a lot of local merchants that are beholden to selling on amazon and, and you know I, I personally don't want to live in a future where like amazon owns everything and everybody is, has that 15 percent tax because if you look at the world now we're, we're very much broken in a, in a way that where everyone is taxed by the the visa and mastercards of the world and just this interchange tax that we all assume um there's also like the fiat tax of working within the fiat system and not having complete control of you know the transaction between the consumer and the merchant um amazon has a tax as well and that tax happens to be 15 percent marketplace fees Right. So we're trying to really break that down and say, merchants can choose what they want to offer their consumer, and that, that, that choice comes in the form of Bitcoin rewards.
0: So I want to go back to something that you mentioned a minute ago, just like it caught my eye, which is, you said you were hiring engineers at the age of 16. What were you doing, and what 16-year-old is hiring engineers?
1: <laughs> uh, I was, so I started building video games when I was like 12, and I just always like, loved building games. I loved playing games. And, uh, I, I look at really much, very much like, um, a lot of the world is like, you know, gamification of X. So how, how do you you know create a system that gets someone to save more money every year? Um, you know, it, it, it kind of looks like a game. Um, and so I've been looking at the internet, you know, the same way since age of like 12. And, and so ended up, uh, starting building games and then started building like back end platforms and websites at, at, at 16. And I quickly realized, like, I don't, um, there's worked with enough engineers where I was like, okay, there are certain people who just love to build, uh, you know, in, in like, you know, code. Uh, I didn't particularly love it. I did it because I had to, uh, and I felt like I, I, I enjoyed learning it, but once I actually like learned it how to code and uh, I very much loved like the the design and the, the, the product, um, side of it. And then also building businesses. So everyone has know natural, uh, strengths and weaknesses and, and things that they love. And I just found, I really loved, um, I love like the logic side and th- the problem solving of-, of coding, but I didn't actually love the actual uh, coding day to day. So I quickly realized that I that I could actually uh, build bigger projects and build bigger teams and hire more people and um, in in, in h- ultimately hire engineers um, if I was uh, when I was like sixteen seventeen and I was like building these software projects for for different companies. Um, so yeah, f- found found a love of like building product and uh, building businesses at at you know, ages of 16, 17, 18, and uh, yeah, started realizing, like, I, I could actually find great engineers all over the world. And it was more of like hiring great engineers as opposed to finding the cheapest engineer. It just so happened that the, that many engineers that were at the time you know, working in Ukraine or, or, or India or, or Bangladesh were less expensive and in many cases had skills that I couldn't find in the U.S. So, like, I was doing a few .NET projects, and there happened to be an incredible amount of .NET engineers in India uh, because Microsoft had invested heavily. Microsoft uses .NET, um, and so I couldn't find .NET engineers in the U.S. There just weren't was the quality of engineers at the time, um, and the, the amount of engineers in the U.S. So I ended up finding great engineers that were building a .NET in Ukraine and and Bangladesh and in India, and thus I, that's where I met a lot of my engineers that I was I, I happened to be able to pay less.
0: Could, could you have built Lolly if you didn't have that background in coding? And, and do you think founders who don't have that background are at a disadvantage?
1: Yes. Um, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, like languages of any sort. So you know, whether you're looking at Bitcoin as a language of money or coding or uh, uh, Java or, or JavaScript or anything as a, as a language, uh, I, can, I can speak a language with engineers. So I, I think it gives you an extreme advantage. To be able to understand how long things take to build and and to be able to speak um you know in 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 that language Um, you know that said like i i work you know i i have an incredible cto and co-founder in matt center my my uh he's been my co-founder for 10 years with my last company and now this company so he does a lot of the day-to-day and the architecture and uh and and he's he is uh, i would say you know fluent to the nth degree an expert in the language of java and and programming I'm just, uh, you know, somewhat fluent and I can get by at this point. And, you know, every few years I'll take a few coding classes just to kind of stay relevant. And I find it helps out a lot to, you know, be able to communicate and hire. And I'm not going into, you know, these interviews with, you know, great, you know, top tier engineers blind. I, I can talk with them. I know what their challenges are. Uh, I can go into a, uh, a you know, daily standup and I, I know, you know, what we can and cannot build because of my experience. And I would, I would say if I didn't have that, I would be an extreme disadvantage. I would have no clue how long it would take to build, what, you know, what to push back on, what the real challenges are, um, you know, running through like logic puzzles. Um, there are certain things that just having a basic understanding of engineering, whether you like it or not, is, is extremely um, helpful. And you know, coding teaches you really like, like, while I didn't necessarily love it, um, you know, every part of it, I love the logic games. I felt like it was like a game, a puzzle, that I was like figuring out how to build. And one reason I like love learning it, continuing to learn it, ongoing learning is it, it's fun. It's it kind of like, it's like learning a new language is uh, make sure it sort of challenges your brain to think differently um, and learn a new puzzle.
0: Um, So let's just assume that Lolly does as well as it is right now and and you make a ton of money. And like all former founders, you start angel investing and and, work with other startups. Um, Will you invest in startups where the founder doesn't have any background in kind of coding and engineering?
1: Yeah. And and I've been investing for the last uh, five years after our uh, first exit, um, actually six years now. um, And, and uh, have, I I actually find it really helps. Um, At first I was like, you know, I was just in my sabbatical. And so I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll like, you know, in, invest in different founders. And then when I start a new company, um, I, you know, kind of cut it off, but I've actually found like, I learned so much from other founders and, and what they're doing and, mar- and market opportunities they're seeing and, um, and, and jamming with them on things that they're doing and things that are working and not working. So, uh, I, you know, I've continued to invest over the last six years or so. And, uh, it's, it's really helped uh, me and hone my, um, leadership and, and my craft and, um, I, I, I uh, think things I definitely look for is what what are what is what are like the superpowers that this founder has that no one else has. So if it's if it's a company that is required, like for them to understand how to how to program, if they're building like developer tools, I think it'd be very difficult to be a CEO, a non-technical CEO in a realm of um, of developer tools, of building developer tools. Um, now there's some companies that just I don't think it's as important. So in, in if I'm looking at it as like triaging the areas of importance, I would never say like not every single person needs to understand how to program for every business, but some businesses are more important than others. And now in this new world of Web3, and I think my like last 10 investments have been in the Web3 um, space. And most of those people have had to be crypto native and have some level of understanding of techni- the, the technical nature of, uh, of crypto to really understand uh, what is happening in the world, um, you can be a full-time community manager. You can have these superpowers that uh, of finance or, or whatever you know realm you're coming from. But you have to have some form of understanding of of what's happening because if you can't build, like it, you're not going to go be able to build uh, in whether it's Web two, whether it's Web three, whether it's anything. Uh, you have to have some form of understanding. So it's always going to be an advantage. I wouldn't say it's like 100 like. Uh, necessary, but it, it, it's always going to be helpful.
0: So, so I'm glad you brought up Web three because that's where I wanted to go with this next. So, let's fast forward a, a few years, and Web three or the Metaverse, whatever you want to call it, is now here. Um, how does crypto change? Does it then become an actual currency, um, or does it still become more of? Is it still more of an asset class?
1: Yeah. So it, it really depends on uh, on the country, the individual that it's serving. And, uh, yeah, it, it's a really good question. So there's just, uh, I want to, I don't want to answer it like generally because it's not like my answer isn't like a, a one size fits all type of answer. So w- what I like to do is I like to like really zoom out and look at like what, what different assets are served and technologies are serving me and what are serving other people. So one of the most interesting examples of, of like, you know, kind of what I'm explaining is what's happening right now in the Philippines with play to earn. So when you have, when you have, uh, apps like Axie and guilds like YGG, uh, you're something very interesting is happening where there are more wallets than bank accounts in these places. And that, that's always been the goal. And I think the long um, what's going to happen with Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is ultimately a, a unbelievable store of value in everyone's savings account of the Whatever you want to call it the metaverse with a of, of the real world and so bitcoin I, I think will continue to be for most people the best store of value the place that they can hold their money and it be completely decentralized it's, it be like um you know censorship proof and 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 this like source of truth now all these experiments that are happening all across the world almost like these like these like game theory and, and that that people are like running in these um these experiments people are running with things like uh, play to earn. It's very much in its infancy, but I find it really interesting that it's it's bringing people into crypto um, by giving people access to a wallet. And, and while I am extremely long Bitcoin, I think that gaming and sort of this facade of gaming uh, has given people access to crypto before Bitcoin even reached certain people because people realize they can earn money. And I don't know and I don't necessarily believe that a lot of these play to earn games are sustainable. And I think that people are just going to go keep running to whatever the newest game is that earns them the most amount of money. And most of these games aren't even really games. They're, they are uh, DeFi with a GUI uh, like layer on top of DeFi. So if you've ever played these these play to earn games, they're not fun. They're, they're, they feel like work. Um, and
0: so, so who's, who, who benefits from the play to earn games? What, what's the motivation for the creator of it? Are you mining for them? What, what are you, what are they getting out of it?
1: Many of them are based off of proof of stake. So you're in you, proof of time is, is, kind of this new concept. So the amount of time that you spend playing, quote unquote, playing these games or working in these ecosystems is, is how much you'll ultimately earn. So in, yeah. in, in, there is a game of chance in there, which is why it's not completely time-based. It's not saying you're going to earn $5 an hour, you know, uh, working. So there is an element where you could earn $20, you know, an hour. There's an element where you can earn $1 an hour, depending on the assets that you have or the games that you're playing. And so there's tons of variables that make it like sort of in between a casino and, and a, a job, but you're gonna probably always earn a certain amount, um, by playing this game. And and the guilds have something to gain because they're playing in all the games, they're buying all these assets, they're moving people from game to game to game, and trying to help the players earn the most amount. So I think the the the, um, the YGGs of the world, yield guild games of the world, uh, have the really the advantage because they're kind of the um, they're the guild, they're the they're the community that's moving people in into these different places. The games that that ultimately create wallets also have an advantage. So, if you look at sort of how um, Axie created Ronin, uh, while I disagree with a lot of the way that they've the, like the in-game quote-unquote game economics have been created, I mean these these games are not being created by like uh, the you know people with with um, uh, uh, like that have economist uh, schooling and and understand. uh uh, economics uh these these games are just sort of being created and and changed over time and i disagree with a a lot of the approaches that people have just sort of done armchair economics um uh and really people have been hurt by it um so far and the the economics keep changing and kind of how i was saying before bitcoin has very set economics very set um rules and that, that is is a really good thing whereas a lot of these games like um you just have no clue what's going to happen with the supply with the you know with with what's happening with uh how many tokens that people are printing how much you have to play so really you're kind of beholden to whatever the uh the owners of this of this metaverse the the highly centralized uh creators of these metaverses uh say that you should earn so you know it's play play it out it's like you kind of have to keep playing to kind of keep playing in, in this in this uh, earning in this world. And I don't really love that, that model. Um, yeah. So to answer your question, the the games kind of win in this and the guilds kind of win in this, the players are completely beholden to whatever
0: the um, game makers decide. So, so the, the Fed has been inching closer to the creation of a digital dollar. How do you and how do people who are long crypto kind of interpret that is it something you want to Im- embrace as progress or, or do you see it as just an unnecessary distraction
1: Oh it's definitely progress I, I wouldn't I, I don't think everyone agrees with me on like the uh, the digital dollar being progress but it the, one of the things I look at is like what is the easiest way for people to get into Bitcoin it's to have something that is directly transferable and right now Fiat um, you know th- there's a, there's a tax on Fiat uh, for everybody if I have to move money, to family in Mexico or family, you know, if, if family overseas, um, I, I am, I am charged a, a lot of money uh, with remittance networks with trans, you know, tra- uh, foreign transactions um, in, in order to move money all around the world. Fiat is extremely expensive to move, and it's, it's directly proportional that that tax is directly proportional to the amount of money you're moving. So the, the, the poor, the low income. Um, individuals are taxed relatively more than someone who has a lot of money, um, just because it's so uh, highly inefficient. So, what I'm, what I'm a big proponent for is giving everybody equal access to being able to move money all around the world. And I, I don't want people who are, um, the, I want everybody, whether you're a billionaire or whether you, um, you know, are, are um, a minimum wage worker, to be able to move money all around the world in, on the same. Uh, Plane. I I feel like everyone should have this democratization of of currency and access to um, a, a very efficient medium of exchange and be able to move money all around the world. So if if a central banking digital currency does that, you know, efficiently and makes fiat more efficient and removes sort of the energy inefficiency of fiat, the uh, the uh, highly ineffective um, you know technology, if you can even call. Uh, fiat currency uh, technology at this point, it's, it's really inefficient uh, and it really is a tax on the poor. So I think Bitcoin fixes this, uh, uh, central banking digital currency fixes this in, in, in a certain degree and I think it's ultimately good um, because it gives people the ability to choose what kind of currency that they want to move all around the world and it gives the governments a, a, a fighting chance to compete against Bitcoin. And, and right now they have no fighting chance against Bitcoin, they have no fighting chance against other cryptocurrencies because other cryptocurrencies are so much better than fiat. So, central banking, digital currencies are net good for the space, and I, I'm, I invite them and, and welcome them with open arms.
0: Cool, all right, last question, um, and you can have fun with this one. So, once we're fully in Web3 or the metaverse, whatever we wanna call it, how does the shopping experience change? What does it look like? What to, are people still motivated by the same factors? You know, w- w- what do you think it'll be? Because obviously how people shop is something that's on your mind all the time, I imagine.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I think eventually um, the, you know, one of the biggest things that's going to happen is people are going to be rewarded for, for shopping with uh, more efficient mediums of exchange. Um, if you've ever talked to a bodega owner, that you know, POS, someone who uses a POS system, someone who takes money over the Internet, the, the assumed tax... Of accepting uh, money from a from a customer is hyper inefficient, and I think that uh, there will be a reckoning of that inefficiency um, by better currencies that, that emerge. So uh, one of the biggest shifts I think we'll see over the next five years, and it's not going to not going to be overnight, is is uh, ultimately consumers are are going to be incentivized to pay with better currencies, and mm-hmm. merchants are going to want to incentivize. To offer uh, incentives to consumers when they pay with better currencies, so like those incentives will be passed on. Why we position Lolly, and you know, while it looks like a you know cute, fun you know rewards app, I actually you know our long our long-term Galaxy Brain approach is that it actually functions as this this uh, incentive mechanism to for now get people to earn a better currency, namely Bitcoin. In the future pay with a better currency, whatever that currency may be to all of our merchants. So you can imagine a scenario where I go to Nike and I, you know, for the last three years, I've been earning 5% back. And one day, you know, I'm on the checkout page and it says, Hey, pay with Bitcoin or pay with this stable coin and earn an extra 5% because it's a better medium of exchange. It has uh, you know, there's no remittances. The, the, the merchant gets their money right away. They don't have to wait 90 days for the bank and the, in the and visa, the processor. to to send money to them and so what is the value of having that money at that moment in the next five minutes it's extremely valuable there's a there's a price that every merchant will pay and eventually and and we want to be the leader of this the merchant will pay more to get that money immediately from a cryptocurrency and the consumer will be incentivized to pay with a cryptocurrency uh, right then so i think that's the biggest shift that we'll see and probably one of the biggest things uh, that we'll see all across the world because That is not beholden to a fiat-constrained, a a border-constrained system. You can run that playbook anywhere in the entire world, and and that playbook will be run by everybody, whether it's a bazaar in in Morocco or whether it's uh, uh, an Indian merchant or whether that's in the U.S. Um, Cryptocurrencies are a better medium of exchange and a better store of value. And and right now, I think it's going to be very difficult over the next few years for fiat systems to compete with that with that playbook.
0: Great. Alex, I, I love the way you think. Loved having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, if people want to check out Lolly, what's the best way to do that?
1: Yeah, ch- check us out, lolly.com. Um, you can follow uh, us on Twitter. We, we, you know, we post all the memes and do a lot of Bitcoin giveaways at, uh, at trylolly. Um, you know, I'm uh, Alex Edelman. Uh, I try to answer all my DMs. Uh, and yeah, uh, d- uh, thanks for using Lolly and, and uh, earn some free Bitcoin. Well,
0: Alex Edelman, thanks for joining us.